I feel like I'm this dream builder, right? And I can help people find themselves, help people not be afraid to fail, help help people, uh, the architect, they take the vision of the person who, who building something and they sketch it out. They go back and forth and they add pieces and they take it out and they do that. I believe that's what I am, a people architect. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Dr. Judy Mandrell, pastor, community builder, and popular radio host. Raised in Fort Lauderdale, Judy has been on a lifelong mission to use every available resource to impact those around her. Examples include organizing a student walkout to protest unfair treatment at her recently desegregated high school, giving away her sister's clothes, without their knowledge, to girls in need, and once even using a freezer full of freshly butchered beef to entice a crowd across town to listen to her faith story. Today, Judy's influence has grown to include the church she co-pastors with her husband Gerald, a large radio audience listening to Real Talk with Judy, and the very popular Sister Girls Network that brings women together to encourage and give them hope. For this owner of more than 520 pairs of glasses, there's much more than meets the eye. We began our conversation talking about growing up in South Florida. Growing up, I have four sisters and one brother. Uh, my mom and dad, my dad was the first black chef with the Broward County Sheriff Department. Okay. My mom owned her own day child development center for 45 years. She just retired uh, about three years ago uh, at the age of 80. She would. She would. <laughs> wow. She would tire, right? well, She probably had generations of kids then, right? Like, she did. Yeah. Um, she has several senators now, business owners, uh, House of Representatives. I mean, she have so many people who left her daycare, who was there from babies on. They even named the street after her. Wow. The Irma Hunter Wesley. Uh, Boulevard, and so we're excited about that. But growing up in Fort Lauderdale was was real good. People got along. Our street, our house was the community house where all of the children came to play. Uh, we really thought we was rich. My brother and sisters and I, we thought we were rich. Um, my dad and mom took us on a vacation every every summer. Um, we went out every Friday to eat. So we really thought that we we were rich. Right. Education was real big uh, with my mom and dad. They wanted us to get an education. They wanted us to, they taught us to be leaders. They taught us to be leaders. And they taught us to be followers. They taught us uh, if we win, we win. But if we don't come in first place, we still win. But we celebrate whoever uh, won. And so growing up there was, was good. The part, and, and I, I'm glad for this lesson, my class integrated a high school called South Plantation High School. Okay. 
we were not happy about going to South Plantation High School. So were, did you have to go far away from where you lived? Yes. Okay. They bused us um, about seven miles from wow. where we lived. And uh, at first it seemed like it was going to be okay. But then it turned out not to be too good. And it really wasn't the students. It was mm-hmm. the teachers. Samantha Bird and I became best friends. Samantha Bird, and I'm using black and white just to make a point. Yeah. It's not you know, that important. But Samantha Bird and I became the best of friends. She was a, a, a white girl. Her dad was a judge. Her mom was an attorney. We took French together. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going this route because I want to tell you what I did. We took French together. Mm-hmm. She would always get an A. I would always get a B. But I was better than her in French. We studied together. Right. And we knew that I was better. But she always got an A, always got a B. She came up with a plan on our next test. She put her name on my paper, on my test paper. Mm -hmm. And I put my name on her test paper. She received an A. I received a B. We went to the principal. And we told them, the lady is prejudiced. And Samantha just, she went on. She was like my attorney. (laughs) (laughs) She was my attorney, and I felt real good. But because of that, they moved the teacher from French. And I don't know where they put her. But we we received another teacher, and both of us got A's. Were you treated differently in class? I mean, did you feel like she had a prejudice? or? Yeah, yeah, we, we felt like it. I could raise my hand, Dave. And it'd be the longest before she would call on me. Mm-hmm. And Samantha would say, don't you see Judy Hand? <laughs> Do you see Judy Hand or not? Right. And I'd say, yeah, my hand been up for about an hour. I'm, right. You know, exaggerating, sure. of course. Yeah. But it, it taught me a lesson. Mm-hmm. This is what I did. We uh, I organized a city, a sit a walkout. Okay. In high school? In high school. And we all, and I got there from watching, you know, Angela Davis and, and all of that. But we wanted to peaceful, and we had a goal. The goal was to say, when it was all done, that all of us are created equally, and we should be treated the same. Mm-hmm. Samantha Bird, mom, helped us organize it. You know, she was an attorney, mm-hmm. and she helped us organize it. And she said she would represent us if we got in trouble. But... And I forgot. So there were white students who stood with you, a right? A lot, a lot of white students, mm-hmm. a lot of white students, um, a lot of uh, Hispanic students, and just about all of the blacks from ninth to 12th grade. Wow. Yeah. And it was huge. Yeah. I know you said that comes from your parents, but some of that's inside of you. I mean, where yeah. did that come from? I mean, it sounds like from the from the beginning, you were determined to make a difference and and not just kind of go with the flow, but make sure things were right, like kind of a social justice thing built into you a little bit. And I, and I, I really do believe that comes from my mom and dad. And I'm tell you, when we were growing up, Dave, we had so many people in our house, uh, mm-hmm. like the children on the block, and a lot of people would come over, can we borrow butter? Can we borrow sugar? Can we borrow flour? And we, if my parents were home, we always gave it away. But what we saw, my mom and dad would give it away. Right. If the neighbors came and asked, they gave it away. My mom, her daycare, everybody there was low income. All of her children okay. that she served was low income. She, had, Her employees either worked with her for 45 years, 
42 years, 43 years. She and a lot of her employees was low income women. Mm-hmm. And but she she made them get their uh, a GED if they didn't have it. She made them get their director's license for the child care. I mean, she made them. And she they they didn't hardly ever take off. She wouldn't allow them to take off because she didn't take off. Right. <laughs> right. And so, but we saw her. Dave, we, we saw my parents, my mom, take her St. John suits, which was very expensive, and her knit suits and different, and bury women in. We, mm-hmm. we saw her do that. We saw her take her jewelry. We saw them do that. We saw my dad and mom get up and, and help folks, parent, people who didn't have um, food, children who didn't have school clothes for the new year. We saw, they, they asked us one time, they said, we're going to buy you all, um, not as much as we buy you, because we want to buy a couple of other families on the, and my sister who lived in Scotland, said, that don't seem fair to me. <laughs> Why should we suffer? And she said, you're not right. suffering. Yeah. But they taught us that. And my, my dad told me when I was six years old, he said, you know, you have the gift of faith. Mm. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, that means that you trust God for every anything. Whenever I saw somebody living less fortunate than my family, mm-hmm. they was just something in me that said, you got to help them come up. You, you, you have to help them come up. I was like, well, how am I going to do it? And I was taught to myself like that, right. you know? And I told my mom, uh, my dad my dad said I was about seven, and I told them I'm going to be an evangelist, and I'm going to save the world. I'm going to save everybody. I had a scholarship to the—now, if I would have known better, I would but I had a scholarship at FAMU for a full ride in the School of Business. Right. But I felt like I needed to go be a social worker because if I know— but I know now I would have gone to the school of business and learned a lot mm-hmm. and took social work as a minor. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so you use those principles of building. So after you graduate, you spend, then was, was your job at Florida Department of Children and Families, was that your first job out of school? Or did you do something in between? My, fir- my first job out of school day, my husband and I got married. And no one would hire me. So you got married while you were still in school? As soon as I graduated, I graduated in May of 81. We got married in October of 81. Okay. I often tease him. I left my mama house and my daddy house to come to your house. <laughs> I came straight to your house. I ain't have no free time. I came straight to your house. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, then we got married. We moved to Tampa for six months. Okay. Then we moved back to Tallahassee. When we came back to Tallahassee, I'm putting in applications everywhere, but no one would hire me. You know, in social work related so, or just so any kind of job? Any, well, first I was I was going with the state to get in social work. Right. Um, and then it's like, I can't, no one would hire me. So Mother D.K. Richardson started an adult daycare center doing, and she just had older people with different um, handicaps. And so she had me to work for her. Okay. I realized quickly that wasn't my field. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so I left. And... I was hired, my first job was at Bond Elementary School. They created Mr. John, Bill Johnson was the principal at the time. I forgot who the superintendent was, but that was in 1983. And they created a position for me. They just, and my job was to work with students who were um, very active in class, 
or had bad behavior. Okay. And they made me an office in the library. And so they would all come to me. It was in 1985, I think, I finally got hired with the state. I went for an interview, and the lady who hired me, she told me the reason why she hired me because I looked like a missionary. <laughs> what does a missionary look like? I guess like you. I, I guess like me, right? Yeah. But I had on a navy blue. I never forget I had on a navy blue suit. The skirt was long right to my ankle, mm-hmm. and I had on some heels. And she said, I just looked like a missionary to her, so that's why she hired me. <laughs> my first job with the state was answering the phone and making uh, appointments to people to ride the big being bus to the medical appointment. That's me with a bachelor's degree, right? Yeah. And that had to have uh, driven you it. crazy. But I took yeah. it, right? Yeah. And I want to share this. I went to Sears to get a for an interview. Yeah. And the guy, he brought me in, he interviewed me, and he said, I'm not going to hire you. I said, well, why did you interview me? He said, because I have a high school education and you're a college graduate from FAMU. I said, really? He said, yep. I just wanted to bring you in here. He said, I'm a white man and I just want you to know that I'm still above you. I said, really? In my mind, I don't curse. I I hate cursing Mm -hmm. with a passion. But in my mind, it was like I was cursing him. Every I was using every curse word in my head, I believe. And I just said, thank you, sir. He said, you're welcome. And and when I left out of there, um, and I often speak about my parents because they really had a great impact on my life. Mm-hmm. I left out of there. I called my dad. I said, Dad, you know what just happened to me? And I told him, he said, well, suck it up, Judy. That's the way life is. Mm-hmm. He said, you're going to run across people like that. He said, not just white men who think you they're better than you going to happen in all races he said unfortunately that's what some people are and he said suck it up and keep going so I called my mom because I wanted to hear something else and I called my mom and she, <laughs> you weren't satisfied I with your satisfied dad, with my dad answer. <laughs> and I called my mom my mom said well Judy it's okay one day you're going to go back and who knows you might have to help him Yeah. she said and you just make sure you don't ever get to that point that you bring somebody in your presence because you think you're better than them. She said, so go do another interview somewhere. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And so I went back to that store, Sears, um, maybe maybe about two months later, and he was gone. Yeah. The supervisor came in, and because I, I asked for him, and then I asked for the late, one of the managers. I said, I see one of your managers. And she said, we fired him. She said what he did not know is that we heard him. Mm. And she said, ma'am, I'm so glad you came back. She said, I am so sorry. Mm. She said, do you still need a job? I said, no, ma'am, I I really came back to tell him that I was hired with the Leon County School Board. I said, that's what I really came back to tell him. And to tell him, I think, you know, that there's some good in him somewhere. Mm. And and as we talked, the late, the manager started crying. Right. But... Because it's easy, you know, like like in the Bible, it's easy to love people who are nice to you. Yeah. It's hard to love people who are not nice to you. Yeah. So yeah. you work for Leon County. So you worked at Bond. That's what you were talking about uh, for Bond, Leon County Bond, Schools uh-huh. at Bond. Yeah, Bond Elementary School. Right? And then you left that job to work for um, children and families well, at I, some point? Uh-huh. I went down to, uh, I worked in Quincy. All of my, all of my uh, time with 
Department of Children and Family was with um, in Quincy. Okay. And first it was called Department of Human Resource before they changed it to the Department of Children and Families. Right. And I worked in the medically needy part first. And when I when the lady hired me um, to take appointments for people to ride for the, the, bus. the bus, right? I felt like what? And she gave me a nice little office and everything. I said okay. And then she said, "And I hired you so you could get your foot in the door." Mm-hmm. She said, "You're gonna go up, but your personality and everything." And I had so much fun, Dave. I would laugh with those people. Yeah. And then I started working for medically needy when mm-hmm. AIDS was was just coming out. So a lot of the people who came in needed medical needy help, medical help through the medically needy program. And I never forget this one man came in, he had sores and pus and everything coming out of out him. He had AIDS. Mm-hmm. He had uh, full blown AIDS. And he came in, he made an appointment to see me and so the reception of the front she told me, Judy, there's a man here, he got full blown AIDS. What you want me to do? Send him out. Cause he, you're the next, you're the next counselor to see him. I said, mm-hmm. really? I said, no, send him in. She said, you gonna see him? I said, yeah. Why not? Why not? I said, Jesus healed the lepers. Maybe he'll come in my office and I heal him. <laughs> right? And he came in. He sat in the chair, and he had this look on his, fa- this hopeless look on his face. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? He was like. Nothing much. He said, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I have full-blown AIDS. If you want me out your office, I'll, I'll leave. I said, no, you can sit in that chair. I said, I'm in my chair, so let's get you some help. And he went on. Then he started crying. And he told me what, what he had done, and he believed, you know, why he had it and mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff and how God had cursed him for being a sinner. And he just went on and went on. I said, you missing one part of that cursing. He said, what? I said, God sent Jesus to forgive us, man. And he looked. He said, yeah, but you know how a Christian believe. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, you're sitting in my office, and I'm going to help you. We're going to get you some medical help. I said, I don't care what you've done. I said, because it ain't just whatever you've done. I said, me too, man. I I mean, come on. I said, God forgave me. I said, he's going to have to forgive me the rest of my life, I'm sure. I said, there's going to be some things that I do or say. I said, let's let's get past that. Let's get you healed. Let's get you some help. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And he cried and he cried. I said, okay, but we got. I got to get out of here because my supervisor is going to come in in a minute. She's going to say, you've been in here with that. But she wasn't going to do that. That's Suzanne Maxwell. She was one of the best supervisors ever. And he, we got him help. Yeah. And to this day, he's still alive. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's one of yeah. that's one of many stories, but he was the first person I ever, and when he left, I did have to, um, well, they threw away the chair that he was sitting in, because A, it wasn't... At that point, people didn't completely point, understand yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like God wasn't going to allow me right. to get A's or anything else because I was helping his people. And, I, and to this day, I do things and go places because I feel like... God had called me to help people. Now right. I don't I don't tempt them and put them in crazy like I'm not gonna go out in no shootout and say, you know, God <laughs> is gonna help me. No, I'm gonna stay home. You right. understand what I'm yeah. saying? I'm not gonna go out in front of an eighteen wheel old guy. I'm not gonna do that. Right. But at the same time, I believe that with wisdom and much prayer, I believe anybody I help, 
they're not gonna harm me because that's what I believe and yeah. so I stayed in Quincy medically needed then I started working for the Department of Children and Families I started there as a protective service counselor my responsibility was to go into home, set up case plans, make sure things was working for the children, make sure the families had what they need to be successful. Right. That's how I, where I am today. Everything that I learned in those 20 some years with the Department of Children and Families, I really implement them. Everything I learned at home hmm. is what I put in place on my case plans with my parents because my mom worked a lot with single parents. So I was able to do that. Um, and they would say, you make it hard for us. No, you're a parent. I believe, they the first place of influence is in the home. So my foster parents that I worked with, they knew that that Judy Mandrell wasn't playing. You had to make sure these children had it. And they had to be able to come home and eat a snack. And they didn't have to ask you if they wanted a snack because this is their home. They could go in that refrigerator and get it. Right. And I learned that from my mom and my dad. They said anything in this house belongs to y'all. Now, I heard, I read somewhere where going back to that time that you would not only help do food and stuff, but you'd actually take like your mom's clothes, your siblings' clothes, and hand those out to people? I would. They, now, that, I imagine that would cause some problem at home, at least with your siblings at some point. Yeah, they, they, they weren't having it. <laughs> Judy, we know it's you. We know it's you. We can't find this. We can't. I'm like, but so-and-so, <laughs> my dad had a cow killed, right? Butchered, uh, whatever, whatever you call it. In a the, what? A cow. A cow. Yeah. Oh, we had a cow butcher. Butcher. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so big hunks of meat. Yeah. You gave away some of his meat? No, not some. All of it? All of it. <laughs> and I took it to the project. And it started handing out. And I told them I was going to bring it, right? Boy, right. they was in the line, but they had to. I've always, so how old are you at this point? I was 16. Okay. 16, 16, 17, 16. But I just felt like. Oh, wow. And I saw him put all that meat in the deep freezer. I was like, okay. Wrapped in butcher paper and probably marked what it was. He and, did. And yeah. the date and everything. Yeah. I put him in a pillowcase. Got in my car. <laughs> drove over to the project. Because I've always, I've always, I've always uh, wanted to be a public speaker. I see myself speaking all over the world. Right. To the thousands of people, I've taken public speaking and Toastmasters because I, I just see myself. Just, and, and at FAMU, Dr. Evans was my um, public speaking instructor. And I took her for four years. And she said, you, you're going to be with me? I said, every year I said, Dr. Evans, I'm going to speak all over the world. And I want to make sure that I'm doing it correctly. And, and she said, right. "She said I believe you. So in the project, they just had to listen to me. Before they got the hunk Before of they meat. Got, yeah. Okay. Because I told them that. I, I said, I am a worldwide speaker. And they were <laughs> clapped. They, they were. So what are you talking about? What are you telling them? I was te- from a, even a child, child, I was telling them. Well, first of all, I said, everybody need to be saved. You got to give your life to the Lord. How many of y'all going right. to be saved? I so said, you're being I'm, an evangelist first? Yeah, I was being a, And then okay. I started talking about, I started talking about, because I started reading all of these books about leaders. I, I like to read biographies. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would tell them, you're going to, Harriet Tugman, 
And I want everybody in here to be free. You will not be living in the projects all your life. You're going to get homes and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And they listen and they clap. They were listening because they wanted what I had to give, right? right? (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't care. I had an audience. I had an audience and I was practicing. Well, I gave out all the food. I gave out my mom's clothes, her jewelry. Gave out my sister's. My dad went in one night. Looking and, for some brisket. And he was and there's nothing there. He's, my mom's name is Irma. He screamed, Irma! Irma! <laughs> and my mom come running out the room. I'm in the den. My brother and my sisters, all of us were because we didn't know what had happened. He said, where's the me? Where, where's the me? <laughs> my mom. Looked, they, she knew it was you, right? My brother said he was like, Dad's going to kill him. He's going to kill her. And so at that point, he said, Judy, let's go into den. Let's go into den. He said, we don't know what Dad's talking about. He said, did you get that meat away? I said, Chico, I took it over to the project. He said, Dad going to kill you. <laughs> he is going to kill you. But he didn't. He just went in the room, got in the bed. And my mom came in the den and said, Judy, did you give away all, of, all that meat? I said, Mom, you should have seen it. I said, there was like hundreds of people out there. And I was talking and they was listening to me. And then I gave, she said, they only was listening because they want the food. I said, no, they was listening because I had something to say. Right. She said, why do you do these things? Yeah. I mean, and I said, because y'all taught me to do this. Yeah. This is what y'all taught us. She went back in the room a few days later. My dad kept talking. Well, no, no. A few days later, he said, Judy, you can't give away the stuff we Bye. The stuff we bring in this house, because when you do that, you're taking it from here. He right. said, I spent over $3,000 to get that cow and to butcher it and to get it. I said, wow, we gave away $3,000 worth of food? I said, I told him to come for me and my family. And after a while, I started understanding. And I think I did that. I don't think. All of this happened, Dave, because I really felt we were rich. Mm-hmm. I, I really did. I felt like we were a rich family. And you would just replace it. If you gave it away, that's you would what, just get more. That's what right? I felt like. Yeah. I, I felt like it would be a problem. It, mm-hmm. it was not going to be a problem. I felt like anything I gave away, they'll get more because we always had. All right. Well, let's circle back around to your husband, Gerald, and tell that story a little bit. How did you meet? And, uh, and We just, actually met at church. You met at church. Uh-huh. Um, we both here attended, in Tallahassee. Here in Tallahassee, okay. Watson Temple Church of God in Christ. We both attended FAMU. He was a pharmacist major. Uh-huh. I was a social work major. I didn't like him because I thought he was a nerd. I thought he was just a nerd. Why? What was nerdy about him? What, okay, the way he dressed and he was so smart and he just he had dry humor and it, you know, the glasses. He was just a nerd. And I wanted this. <laughs> what were you looking for? I like guys who were tall, super dark, and you've seen Gerald. Gerald's super bright, mm-hmm. and uh, but dark, athletic, and uh, like my brother. My brother was cool and all that kind. Of, Gerald to me was not cool. So you wanted some big, physically intimidating, strong, manly man kind of guy. Yes, sir. And he wasn't. He was. He was manly, but super smart, and all of that. And he didn't like me either. He thought I was wild, crazy, you know, loud. 
So we were true, right? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you think that too, huh, Dave? <laughs> well, not the crazy part, but so you're. <laughs> But you were, so you weren't a natural love at first sight kind of story. Neither one of us. Yeah. No. But what happened, I've always wanted a man who was smarter than me. Because I knew I was smart. Who could challenge you, right? Yeah. That's, I had to have that. And I wanted a man who loved God mm-hmm. more than he loved me. Because I figured if he loved God that much, he, he could put up with me. Right. right. And I wanted a guy who loved his mom. Mm-hmm. I, that was very important to me. And he was all of those things. I fell in love with his intelligence, the way he loved God, and the way I saw that he cared for his mom. So how did he get you to agree to go on a date? Or how did, how did that first, first time together work out? I'm going to tell you what happened. We were all swimming, right, at my apartment complex, a whole lot of us. He had on some swim shorts. And I know your audience going to probably be, who is this crazy lady? So, I do want to know where this story goes. So, uh, so now you want me to go in right here yeah, on some sure. swim short. All right. Dave, he had the prettiest thighs. <laughs> and his legs, I didn't know he was bow-legged at one of his legs. I was like, oh, my God, that is gorgeous. And them swim shorts. And when he stood up, his body, I mean, it, it, it was like, I was like, he is so fine. <laughs> And with us, Dave, that means, yeah, that cat, that guy is the bomb. And that's right. how I felt, right? Right. And so, I told some of my friends. And, and then one day we all went to eat and stuff. And then he just said, hey, you want to go some go somewhere we went? I said, sure. I had a dream that he and I got married. I told you a dream. Jared moved to Tampa and got engaged to somebody else. We broke up. So I started dating this other guy. Gerald came back to a function, and he and I, he and I stopped back talking. And he said, everybody going to the movie, you want to go? But deep down within, I really, I think I was, I love, I think I fell in love with him for real. And so I told the other guy, I'm going to go to the movie with them. You got a way home? And he didn't have a car. Gerald had a car. And he was, had already graduated from uh, FAM. And he's living in Tampa in at Tampa this point. In Tampa right. at this point. And... So we started talking again, we started dating, and then he asked me to marry him. I think it was in January or February. I said, yes. He asked me, he was in Tampa, yeah. and he called me, he said, and we talked, and I said, yes. And the rest is history. So we're now almost 42, we're going on, we just completed 41, but the next day I always say 40, we're going on the next year, because sure. we're not getting divorced at all. Yeah. So and we had a we had a baby. She in uh, nineteen eighty eight. She lived for three and a half hours, hmm. um, and I lost half the blood of my out of my body when I had her, and um, it was a hard loss. Yeah. But Gerald was like, "You don't have to have any more children, Judy." That was hard, and I haven't had any more biological children. Hmm. Um, Carolyn Waddell, who everybody see with me a lot. I believe God gave her to us as a daughter. Yeah. We have 16 godchildren. Mm. Um and so that's what we that's Yeah. That that's a family for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell, and we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001. 
because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. So now we're going to move into, well, I want to ask you this. So you and Gerald, you're married, but you're also partners in ministry. Yes. So tell us about that a little bit. What is it like? And we'll get into the the church. Well, we can get into the church now. Let's talk about you. You're both pastors, right, mm-hmm. at um, Life Changers Church of God in Christ. Tell us about that, how you got involved in that, and what it's like to you know minister together in such a public and profound way in, in your church. We started at Watson Temple. Church of God in Christ, um, we both became Christians there. I was brought up in the Church of God in Christ all my life. Uh, Gerald said he was not brought up in church, but his mom or grandmother was Methodist. Uh, no, his mom, his dad was Methodist. Okay. But, but he didn't hardly go to church or anything until he came up here in Tallahassee. And so we both started working in the ministry at, in ta- at Tallahassee. I became a preacher except in my calling in 1979, and he became He gave his life, became a Christian in February the 3rd, 1978. I can't ever forget it because he said that's his birthday, Mm -hmm. right? And so we just started doing ministry at Watson Temple. We came over to Sunday school department, uh, the prayer. We worked with the collegiate ministry. I was one of the advisors and the drummer. I played drums uh, from age 12, about 30 that's awesome. I'm a drummer too. I played at my church for a long time. Really? Yeah. Oh, all right. That's Dave. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So doing some of that, the Lord had showed me that Gerald's gonna start a church. Hmm. I wrote everything down. And I think the only person I really shared it with was my grandmother. My grandmother had a great influence in my life as well. Um, uh, she's from Apalachicola. Okay. They were, my mom is from Apalachicola. And uh, but she had a great influence. I showed it to her, and she said, "Baby, that's gonna come to pass one day." She said, "In the meantime, just hold it." My church didn't believe in women doing a lot, like pastoring and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So when the Lord led Gerald to talk to our pastor about what he was doing, I already knew it. And I knew that I was gonna be one hundred percent supportive of him because I believe that the Lord put Gerald and I together for ministry. And just to help people, period. Right. I, I believe that because his heart is so given. As we got married and started dating dating and married, we realized that we had so much in common. Um, he calmed me down a lot hmm. being married. married to, I'm still, you know. I, but he You're still me. Judy. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I appreciate about him, Dave. Yeah. He allowed me to be Judy, even in ministry. So at a time when, when we started, women— didn't have a lot of leadership role in the church, especially as pastors. Right. But that's what he he wanted me. And Kenneth and Helena Barrington here in the city was the only husband and wife team that we saw that was so effective mm-hmm. and, and work ministry. They became like our mentor, but also spiritual parent. Uh, Helena became like a spiritual mom to me. That's way before we got married because I was smoking weed at one time. Dave, can you believe that? <laughs> smoking <laughs> smoking weed at one time. Wow. And she came when I was probably high as a Georgia pine, pine tree. <laughs> and in the midst of that, she spoke not where I was. She just told me, God created you 
and you're going to be powerful. And you, you, you're this mighty woman of God. And from the day of your birth, he has covered you. He placed you in your home so you can get all of that training. And your mom has taken you to church and da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be to the nation. I'm saying to myself, did this lady know that I'm about as high as I don't know what? <laughs> And she kept she kept talking right. to my future. Yeah. So Jared and I, when we started the ministry, he respected w- what the Lord had called me to do. Right. And so, the, and the reason, and I respect him as the leader of our congregation. I, I honor him as our pastor. And whatever the Lord gives to him, my desire and my prayer, Dave, is always God help me to help him make this happen. Right. But his vision and his dream of what God gave to him is everything that I'm doing. Everything that God has gifted me to do is all of your vision. And we write it until he sees that. Once he sees it, that is it. So it makes ministry easy. We have never had a fault, a fight. It's never been, well, I'm, I'm, and if I disagree with something he said, I wait, I get home. The congregation has never seen me sure. disagree with him, right? And even when I talk to him, it is, it is with a lot of respect and honor. Number one, he's my husband. And then I, I, he's my pastor. But number one, he's my husband. And I've, all, and I've been taught that by my mom. You honor your husband. That's what I teach to all the people that I know, my, my sister Carolyn, you hear me call her daughter, sister. Right. My sister Carolyn, her husband, they've been married now 12 years. Um, another young man and his wife told us yes, Sunday, they would watch our marriage. We right. have people all across the city, all across the nation say that they watch our marriage and how I treat him. I want to set an example for all the women that you can that you can support your husband, but at the same time your husband support you. That's right. what he teaches, and I don't care what I'm doing. He supports me. Right. He's always there supporting. Love you like Christ loved the church. That's exactly how he loves me. And Dave, when that happened, and I tell I tell women this all the time, and when we do marriage counseling or marriage conference or something, both of us talk about this. If you love, if that man love his wife. Like Christ loved the church. First of all, you got to study and see what that means. Mm. You know, there's nothing that wife w- wouldn't do because that kind of love is powerful, right? right? The way he loves us, the way Christ loves us, and then your husband is loving you. The sacrifices he made for me and for our home is beyond measures. My our uh, musician told me Sunday. He said, "Did I ever tell you why?" I came to Life Changes. Uh, he said, I started following you a long time ago. I said, no. He said, I was in my car one day, and I heard this woman praying for her husband. He said, it was you. Mm-hmm. He said, you prayed for him on that radio. He said, I said, I'm going to check her out. He said, you everything that I would like to have my wife to be. So I want to know about dream builders. It sounds like that's a. it's got a lot of pieces to it. Yeah. And so I kind of want to understand where that came from. I know it's having a powerful impact on the community. So tell us where Dream Builders came from and what it's all about. Dream Builders, once again, come from my childhood. Dream Builders, right? I tell people I am a people architect. And so what it does, and greatness come from my sister Carolyn. Uh, Bill Proctor called her greatness. One day he said, you're just 
great. I see so much greatness in you. So I added that name in there because of her. So it's Dream Builders Greatness Center. And what it is, uh, Dave, it, it came from the fact of me seeing everybody, and I, I feel like I'm this dream builder, right? And I can help people find themselves, help people not be afraid to fail, help help people, uh, the architect, they take the vision of the person who, who building something, and they sketch it out. They go back and forth, and they add pieces, and they take it out, and they do that. I believe that's what I am, a people architect. So that's what that what Dream Builders came from. I was thinking one day, that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, we had a young man went to our church. He was an architect. He was one who uh, designed a lot of family, the Al Lawson Center, and all hmm. of that stuff. But that's what I felt like. So that's where Dream Builders Greatness Center come from. I'm a believer. I have a child development center. My sister Carolyn is is the owner. She's the executive director there. But this is what I believe. You can't start when they're 13 or 14. Right. And because of my mom, she started with those kids at age six weeks. So that's what we do. Six weeks to five. Mm-hmm. And we'll build, as soon as they, we teach motor skills, we teach this, right? And then we bring them in, in, in our daycare, in our, ta- in our infant room. But we're raised, and how we see it is, we're raising the next leaders. Mm-hmm. We're building the next leaders. And so all of our, all of our teachers are L- older. All of our teachers are older than 50. Okay. Uh, because we want that. We want to teach them the fundamentals, but we also want them to have that caring and nurturing feel to it, right? And then we we work with the parents as well because I believe everything starts at home. Hmm. I believe everything starts at home. If you cursing and fighting all the time, that's what that child. That's what those children are seeing, and then they're gonna bring it, take it to school, and take it to the community. Right, then they grow up doing the same thing. Right. And then we start the after school because we wanted the out if once they leave us and they go to school and if they need help with homework, we want to be able to provide that. Well, let's talk about your radio shows. So Real Talk with Judy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you've been doing that for how long now? Seven years now. Yesterday made seven years. I started twenty fifth uh November, the first Tuesday, twenty fifteen. Wow. Well congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. So tell us about the show. What is the purpose and what do you, what do you what's the impact you want to have from having the radio show? One of the things I wanted to do with the radio, I really want influence. I, I wanted to be able to influence people's mind, people's thoughts, their actions. Um we started twenty fifteen and Joe Bullard is like mm-hmm. one of my mentors. Our greatest mentor, my brother Chico, was on the been on the radio for fifty years. Mm. Fifty years. He started as Joe Bullet student. Okay. And then Doc Doc D is my program manager now. Um, and and Reverend Grant James have taught me a lot. Uh, he was one of the ones I sat down and for four hours that man was pulling stuff out of me. You gonna do this? You gonna do that? Right. And so with the radio show, it's it's really an empowerment, inspirational dream building show it is to bring people on who can speak to this audience speak to the audience that i have and let them feel the hope uh, uh, or the excitement about god i can do this mm-hmm. because my my thing is if anybody has done it everybody can do it and so i bring different people in i don't do a lot of the political stuff because that's not what my show is about 
Right. My show is to build people, to be that strength, to to be that Aaron and that earth that hold up your arms to say that you can make it. Right. Or if you fall, you can make it. We had people to deal with different sicknesses. You know, I, I had thyroid cancer, um, and but God healed me to bring on, hey, you got hope. Mm. You know, and so that's what, it, and my where, where I see myself going, um, like Oprah Winfrey went all over everywhere with the TV. She, she had she had a radio, but she was really a magazine, I, 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 yeah. the magazine, all of that with Sister Girls. Um, I went to Sister Girl with Real Talk with Judy. That's right. I'll, I want to get to that in a second. Okay, with Real Talk with Judy. Yeah, and I want people to hear it. The airwaves give me more people. I have over twenty five thousand listeners now. That's you know, awesome because of. The airway, right? Because of the radio, because of their frequency. Yeah. Well, yeah. tell tell people where they can find it on the radio dial. I'm about to say you can <laughs> you can come hear me every Tuesday from 11:30 to 12:30, from 11:30 a.m. to 12:30 p.m. Mm. on Hallelujah 95.3 FM. Okay. They also have an app, Hallelujah 95.3. Um, I'll, we also do it on Facebook and YouTube. Both of those, we, we, we do that on there. And the audience is, is mostly a lot of women, but now we're getting so many men who just love hearing it. It's, it inspired them. It's, it's encouraging and motivate them. Right. And so and that's what the show is about. I want when, when I go off the air, they're so much better. They believe in themselves. There's hope. There's, there's a courageous uh, thought and I'm you don't try. even have to have a bag of meat with you to get people to listen. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're moving up in the world. You, you go without a pillowcase full of meat. So right, I don't have that's to use the, I don't have to use the meat. No, anymore. not anymore. So you'd mentioned Sister Girls. So I know what that is. I see it on social media all the time. So tell us what what's, all right, this what is that's what, all about. This is Sister Girls. I'm gonna tell you what happened. Okay. So I always. I, my my imagination of what this world can be is so good. I think we can have so much peace and loving each other regardless of everything, right? And so with the, the election, I, and I saw so many women just like, I mean, men too. Right. But I saw the women like just, ugh. I'm like, no, we can't have that. And so what I did, I had my 60th birthday. I invited everybody and I started with the women. I said, I want to have a birthday party, and I'm inviting all the Tallahassee to come. I just want you to wear black, a black dress and pearls. So I had the party. First, I started at the room next by Harry's. It was too small, Dave. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think that many people was going to come. I knew a lot of people was going to come. I just didn't think it was going to be as many. And anyway, it ended up being over 400 women, almost 500 and some women attended. To your birthday party? To my birthday. I just put it out there in the air. Right. I mean, everybody came. Black, white, Hispanic. They came with the pearls on, the black dress. My mom and sisters came. My sister from <laughs> Scotland came. Wow. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. My sister Carolyn got a band, a DJ. We had the best food ever, and it was so huge. Pastor Antoine Elwood opened his church for me at New, New, New Zion, New Mount Zion on Old Bainbridge, and we had it in his fellowship hall. Uh, at the last minute, he allowed me to come in. Mm. You know, somebody got with him and brought it in, and it was just fun. And if you notice, I call a lot of names because I can't do nothing by myself. 
I have all these dreams, but everybody got to be a part, right? So Sister Girls grew, took it to TCC, it grew. So what are you doing? Do you have a program or this is what this is? I'm gonna tell you what it's about. Okay. There's no title. Allison Tant says she loves to come because she get to take off her makeup and take off her hair and just be, and a just be Allison. <laughs> yeah. And when she said that, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's what it's about. I do it quarterly, mm. different places, right? And um, we come together and relax. We have music. We have food. Three, four hundred women. What started is I hate hate. I hate hate. I hate racism, I hate prejudice, I hate all of that stuff. Even growing up, my mom and dad, they taught us how how not to be a part of that, how to judge people from their heart and who they are. And that's how we started Sister That's how I started Sister Girls. All right, so want to touch on this. You're very involved in the community through volunteering and board membership, including NAACP, UPHS, and several ministry-related groups as well. You've also received multiple awards for your work from groups such as the Oasis Center, TCC, Department of Juvenile Justice, John Maxwell. And earlier this year, you were a 2022 Wonder Woman of the Year (laughs) from Girls on the Run. So have you ever been recognized as a Wonder Woman before? Never been recognized as a woman, woman, Wonder Woman before. So what, what does all this mean to you? I mean, you spent your whole life, as we've talked about, serving others. To be able to continue that with different groups and to be recognized for all your hard work. And I know you say you don't do it alone, but you've done, I mean, you, this has been your life work. So how does that make you feel to be recognized for that? I'm really humbled by it because I, I, I don't do it for the, um, the rewards or the awards. I do it because I really love it. But receiving those awards and rewards, Dave, I often tell God, thank you, because they get to see you're using somebody like me to help make a difference in this life. And it made me want to go on, made me want to go on. I was counting the other day, and I have 42 awards. Hmm. I have 42 awards. But I ask God, don't ever let me think that I've arrived or I'm better than anybody. But I, it reminds me, and that Wonder Woman, it is a beautiful piece of art. It is beautiful. But it reminds me that... You have the responsibility to help all these other women. I had Wonder Woman high tops that I bought about two years ago. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know. And when Wonder Woman, she put it on and turned around, yeah. she became a superhero who helped people live better. So when I'm looking at it, it reminds me, continue to help yeah. people live. Fam, you just awarded me, too, uh, at the beginning of homecoming uh, for community service and, yeah. and, and leadership. And to get that from my alma mater, yeah. I was like, whoa. That's what all these rewards is, that God continue to use me so his son work can be done here. Yeah. All right. I want to make a quick pivot to fashion here, okay? <laughs> you have more pairs of glasses than anyone I know, colors, styles, shapes. I want to know where your obsession with eyewear came from. And how big is your collection of glasses? As a kid, I just love shades, right? And I, I love shades. And I used to go, we have a flea market swap shop, and I would just go buy them. They were like 50 cents. So I would just buy them. Right. Now I have 520 collections 
of different shades, color, everything. 520. 520. Okay. I absolutely love shades. I even started wearing contacts so I can wear different shades. <laughs> None of them are prescription. So they're just clear glass. Clear. Most of all of them are? Every last one of them. Wow. They either clear or either I have the sunglasses. So that's almost two years worth of glasses not wearing the same pair more than once. Yep. All right, two final questions, and I appreciate your time today. Judy, looking back, when is the one thing or person that altered the trajectory of your life to this point? I had a cousin that was very dear to me. He died of AIDS, unfortunately. Balled up. He was 42 pounds when he died. Mm. Balled up in a fetal position. I was the only person his mom let see him. I was either 22 or 23 when he died. This is what he asked me before he died. He said, Judy, would you please not let them bash gays and homosexual? Because he was. Mm -hmm. He said, would you help? And it made me see people a whole nother way. Right. From a different eye. Because I promised him that. And to this day, Dave, from that time forward, you won't ever find me bashing anybody that have a different lifestyle than me or that believe differently than me because I promised him that I wouldn't. Mm. And then we all people. Right. And I promised him. That changed me from that aspect to help me now, even with sister girls. Now, and some of the church folks, some of my, you know, they, they don't agree with me. Doesn't matter. That's the way. About being inclusive to everybody? Yeah. I believe we should. I honestly, sincerely love people. I really do. And my cousin had me to change to make sure that I love everybody, regardless. Hmm. And that's Judy Mandrell in a heartbeat, for real. That's, that's, that's who I am. Right. All right, final question. The podcast is named How I Got Here. So we've talked about how you got to this point in your life. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now? Three to five years from now, I'm going to still be making things happen. I'm going to still be giving and serving this community, looking at my family, and we all working this together. I am a 100% family person. I guess you can tell that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love my, I absolutely love them. And my, I, I don't want to make them ashamed. You, Dave, for even having me on here, I don't want them to go back. Oh, she was on the Dave Ferrari and she done messed up her. No. Because I tell people I have to serve people. And I want, everybody's not going to speak well of you, but I want everybody to know that I am giving the best that I got, right? And that lifting people. I, I, I just want to see so many people lifted and walking in their dreams and just doing better. And if they fall, I'm there to help pick them up. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, 
follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fiorecommunications.com.